The following message was recorded at Christ Church in Bartlett, Tennessee. For more information about Christ Church, visit www.ccbartlett.org. I'm glad that you're with us today. It is Advent, and we're continuing uh, going through Advent. I want to say this. If today at all there's something that, that, that I say, or, or there's, there's a song that you hear, or maybe there's a scripture we see, and the Holy Spirit moves in you in some way, and you'd like to talk with someone, pray with someone after the service, over here, there's a room over here to the side, so we call it the side room. Get it? All right. Uh, anyway, there are friends in there who, who will pray with you and, and meet with you um, if you would like to meet with someone. So please feel free to, to go that way after the service. Um, don't go during because I'm very uh, fragile and I'll, I'll get my feelings hurt. Uh, so anyway, uh, but, but I do want to say we're in Advent, okay? And so Advent's literally a season of coming, all right? And so what we do is, is we light this Advent wreath, okay? And, and this, is, uh, this is our candle that we lit from last week. Um, and I have no idea if it's going to make it to the service, all right? It is little. All right, but this is hope. All right, week one was hope, and we talked about last week that in all circumstances, through Christ alone, we have hope, regardless of what's going on, through the ups of life, and, and through the mountaintop experiences in life, and through the valleys in life, we have hope through who Jesus is. He came and brought that to us. And so, the second week we're looking at is peace, which is kind of it's not necessarily what you think of when you think of Christmas time, because when I think of Christmas time, I think of like some of my favorite Christmas movies, and one of them is National Lampoon's uh, Christmas Vacation, and that's not peace, right? Like there's, you know, they 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 blow a cat up, they light a tree on fire, uh, there, you know, there's plenty of stuff going wrong in that in that movie, and it's not really peace. Or or when you go uh, shopping after Thanksgiving on Black Friday, if you try to experience peace in that type of turmoil, it's impossible, all right? I know with God all things are possible, but not on Black Friday, all right? Like when you go shopping, like God is not there, all right? Like I've been, if you've never been Black Friday shopping, it is, it is a, it's an evil thing. And uh, like, like I think about um, uh, Chris Ellison, our associate pastor here, he went for the first time this past Friday, and he said, you, did you know about that thing? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I did. And he went to a Walmart in Alabama, uh, which was not a good call. And um, he just got the snot kicked out of him by ladies. Like, just, like, literally, you'll have to hear the story. I'm not going to be able to tell it well enough. He literally got knocked off of his feet, hit in the face, and other places uh, by these ladies, like with these, with these pink or uh, waffle irons. It was fantastic, right? And, and like, man, I wish I'd been there. But anyway, like, like peace is not something we think about. But, but the reality is Jesus was promised to us in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. He was promised to us as the prince of peace. And then when the angels appear in Luke, they say that they're, that they're bringing, uh, l- let me read it, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. That word prince of peace there in Isaiah and that word peace uh, there in the New Testament, one is Hebrew, one is Greek, but they mean the same thing. And we're going to look at that Hebrew word today. And that Hebrew word is one you might be familiar with, which is shalom. Now, shalom, uh, so, so Jesus is the prince of shalom. What is shalom? And, and here's the definition. Completeness, soundness, welfare, perfect. Or, or if, if I can dumb it down even more, all right, to, to my level, it would be things are as they are supposed to be. Peace, shalom, right? Now, how do we get our idea? Where do we get our idea of shalom? You got to go all the way back to the beginning. If you have a Bible, just start at the top, all right? Like start at the very beginning in Genesis. When God is, is speaking things into existence, there's a beautiful poem there of how he creates the universe, and there's a refrain in there. And, and what is it? 
that he saw what he had done and what? It was good, right? And so everything was good. There was shalom. It was perfect. And so how do we fit into that as human beings? Well, we've got to look at the first human beings. What were they created to do in in the short period of time that the earth was perfect? What did they do? And what what are we expected to do? What is shalom? What is peace, right? What is as it should be? Uh, in us as humans. Well, the first thing is that they displayed the image of God. Genesis 1, 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image. He's speaking of himself in the, in the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Now, here's the great news. That does not mean physically, all right? The great news is you won't get to heaven and God will look like this, all right? Because if you get to heaven and God looks like this, you're not in heaven, all right? Like you're in a bad place, okay? What that means is that God has created in us certain intangibles that as we display them, we can, we can display the glory of God through that. Does that make sense? That the image of God is, there's, there's intangibles in us that, that as we're obedient to what God's put in us, the love that he's put in us, the ability uh, to forgive by, by his power alone in us, it, it displays the glory of who he is. We display who he is by being that, that image of him. And so, so for example, um, where we violate that image uh, is, is when we have broken community. Um, we, if we're the image of God, we reflect God, then we believe God is the Trinity. We believe the triune God. We believe that God exists in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And within that, we see a, a perfect community. We see that they have perfect mutual submission and love for one another. Perfect community. And so that's how we're to reflect God in that way, in the image of God. And where that breaks down is when our community breaks down. So that's what makes abortion, that's what makes racism, that's what makes prejudice, sexism of any kind, that's what makes that so detestable. Because what you're doing is you are disrespecting the very image of God. Dignity should be, human dignity should be something that should be a priority for us as we respect the image of God in others and display the image of God in ourselves. So that's what they did. They had a perfect community. The only time there was ever a perfect relationship between husband and wife were those few moments with Adam and Eve before they sinned, all right? That was it, perfect community. The second thing is something called Coram Deo, Coram Deo, which is Latin for before the face of God. So literally, we're created not only to display God, but to live ever before him. The Bible says in 1 Chronicles 28, 9, for the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. To recognize that there is no goal greater than pleasing God, than worshiping God in all areas of our life. That's Coram Deo. To recognize that God is always with me. His authority is always supreme in all situations. To recognize he's completely in control of all situations. To recognize that I'm in this situation to bring him glory. That's Coram Deo. Living ever before him. And that's what they did in the garden. They lived ever before him. What did they do? when they sin, they ran from him. So do you understand? We've been created to live before him in all situations. Another way to describe Coram Deo is integrity. That no matter the situation, I will seek the same thing, and that's to live before God in all situations. Coram Deo. This is shalom. This is peace. 
that, that we have, we are displaying the image of God. We're respecting the image of God in, in each other. And in all situations, we seek the worship and the glory of God. Corum Deo Shalom. This is good. Well, what happens? It kind of gets messed up, right? What, what happens? Shalom was broken. We sinned. We believed that, that what we could, we could become like God. We believed that we could become equals of God. We believed that we knew better. And, and I want to read you a quote. This is from Mike Wilkerson in a book called Redemption. I would greatly recommend it to you. Sin is not just the breaking of some Sunday school do's and don'ts. It's not the violation of some impersonal cosmic code of morality. Sin is a personal offense against the creator. It un- unravels and corrupts God's creation. We believed a lie and it marred all of creation. So so let's look at that in Genesis. Let's start there. What was the sin? The sin was if I do this, if I disobey God, if I don't believe him and do this, I'll be him. Like I will be equal to him. And so what happens? The creation believes that it is as great as the creator. What it does is it takes God out of the center and it puts us in the center. And we've all done that, right? We've all put ourselves right there in the centers. Romans 1 says that we worshiped the created beings rather than the creator, right? And so in the same way we've done that, we believe it's all about me now. Like the story of everything here is about me instead of the story of the creator. And so we already are seeing problems. And the consequences of that original sin uh, resulted in this. Relationships became marred. We see that the woman was cursed that your, your desire will be for your husband and he'll rule over you. In other words, uh, World War III in your homes. You get it? Other words, conflict in your relationships. And if you don't have conflict in your relationships, um, you are either in a coma or you're dead. All right? Like conflict in your relationships. And so relationships become marred. The image of God in us is perverted. And then we, we, the peace leaves in our relationships. We don't respect other people in our relationships. St. Augustine says, if you see charity, you see the Trinity. And so what happens is unlike perfect community, it all becomes about us and our relationships suffer, right? The people I care about the most, I have the least amount of patience for. Do you find the same way? The people I care about the most, I have the least amount of patience for because I tend to put myself in the center of their world. And I go, they know me better than anyone else. They should know I don't like this. They should know this gets on my nerves, right? And so, and so in the same way, our relationships are marred. We put ourselves at the center instead of God. And quorum Deo ceases. We become self-sufficient. We turn our back on God and we say, I've got this. Don't look to God. When something goes wrong, I will figure it out. And where does that end? Stress. Where does that end? Stress, which does what? It kills you, literally kills you. Emotionally, absolutely, but physically, it will literally kill you. And so we turn from God, we become self-sufficient, we become self-worshippers. Again, it's all about me, right? It's all what I want, it's, it's all my preferences, it's not about God anymore. And who can stand relationships like that? If everyone you dealt with, every time you talked to them, they said, ah, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. Listen. Got a new haircut today. You want to hear about it? Right? Like if it's all about them, it destroys our relationships with other people. We become ultimately, and this is the worst, we become separate. The Bible says that we are slaves to sin and that our sin has separated us from God. And it says that we're blind in our sin. We can't even see him. The thing that amazes me is that there are people out there who can look at all of creation 
and look at what God has done and not see him. And you go, how? They are so stupid, right? Like how are people so stupid? They're stuck in their sin. They're not stupid. They're blind. They're blind. It would be incredibly cruel for you to go up to a blind person and call them stupid for not seeing the Christmas lights. In the same way, it'd be incredibly cruel for you to go up to someone who is not a believer, who, does, who hasn't experienced the grace of God, and expect them to see it. Hold them to that same standard. How do you not see the goodness of God, idiot? They're blind. And so we have, all of creation is fractured. Shalom is broken. And so we've traded peace with God. We've traded all of that for so far what? Here, let's look. Stress, confusion, discontentment, broken relationships, slavery to sin, and separation from God. Not a good trade. And this is the world that they're living in. In Luke, when, when we're seeing the, the angels appearing to the shepherds, this is the world they live in. It's all broken. And this is the world we live in. Everywhere you look, isn't this what you see? You see brokenness. You You see self-worshippers. You see people who are self-sufficient and who are crushed by stress and the worries of the world. And so this message in Luke 2, 14 should fill us with joy like it filled them with joy. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace, shalom among those with whom he is pleased. He's coming to make everything right. And so we should celebrate because Christ has made peace for us. Check this out in Colossians 1. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. That's in Jesus. And through him, that's Jesus, to reconcile to, uh, or bring everything back to himself, all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Through his blood on the cross, he's brought you back to God. That last thing that, that shalom was broken, that relationship between you and God, the separation between you and God that you could not approach him because of the sin of your life, it's broken. It's gone. He's restored restoring that. He's restoring that in us. When Jesus was crucified on the cross, if you read your Bibles, you're going to see that when he pronounced that it is finished and the wrath of God had poured out on all of your sin on him, the veil in the temple tore in two. The veil that separated the holy of holies, that the high priest could only enter once a year where the physical presence of God, the spirit of God would reside and meet with man. It was behind a curtain. Our sinfulness kept us from him. We couldn't meet him. But when Jesus died, that curtain ripped in two. That is a fact. It ripped in two. And it's God saying, no more. Jesus, through his blood on the cross, made peace for us. And so now we can approach the throne of grace with confidence for, to find help and grace in our time of need. And so we are re, being reunited with God because he's made peace for us. Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So often, uh, the thought of my sins and the thought of my failure is overwhelming. However, the thought of the cross is even greater. The blood of Jesus is greater. How dare we believe, how dare we be so arrogant to believe that I could sin so great to conquer his grace? How dare I? And so, He's made peace for us. But not only has he made peace, he's making peace. Now, sin is ultimately defeated. Don't believe that, that it's not. It absolutely, it ultimately is defeated. You are righteous. You are his child. However, I don't know about you, but I wrestle every day with it. It's a really annoying defeated enemy, right? Right? 
And so he's, he's not only made peace, but he's making peace in us. Paul says this. He says, I do not understand my own actions. I do not do what I want to do, but I do the very thing I hate. We all feel this way. We're wrestling with that sinful nature within us. But 2 Corinthians 4.16, listen to this. We do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. So Christ who has made peace for us with God, so that if we trust in him, we trust in what he's done for us on the cross, we say his way, not ours, then we have peace with God ultimately, that we, we have eternal life with him. But also here on earth, he's making peace every day in our lives, making peace for us as we battle that sinful nature within us. If you have a Bible, turn to John chapter 14. If you don't, there are little white Bibles on, under the, the, the chairs there, page 771, John 14. If you don't have a Bible, you take that Bible. It's our gift to you. Uh, it is not stealing because I'm telling you to, all right? So uh, you can take that Bible, John 14, beginning in verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So Jesus is saying, you know what? I've made peace for you. I've made that shalom, but I'm also giving you shalom. I'm giving you a peace that you don't even understand. And so let's, let's look at this verse. Not as the world gives do I give to you. What kind of peace does the world offer? The peace tries. Absolutely. The world offers to, to try to give us peace. What kind of peace does the world offer? It offers us comforts. It offers us money and, and, and a 401k. And it offers us uh, uh, friends. And it offers us status and our jobs and things like that. It tries, but those things don't work. It also tries ideolo uh, ideologies. Um, we see Gandhi said this, each one has to find his peace from within. What does that imply? That implies that you ultimately are good and you just need to sit and focus and find that goodness in you. Is that true? Do you know, you, you know your heart better than I do. Is that true? Is there really like at your core, you're good? Because the Bible says in Romans 3 that there's no one good, not even one. The Bible says that our righteousness, the best that we have is dirty rags before God. We're not good. And so you keep seeking that peace in there and let me know how it turns out, right? Because you're drawing from an empty well. And so that we, we fall for these ideologies. I love these like self-help shows. I gotta be honest. I love The Biggest Loser. I like to sit there and eat ice cream while I watch it and pretend they can see me. I love The Biggest Loser, all right? But one of the things they tell them in The Biggest Loser, you're good enough. You deserve this. It's time to start thinking about yourself. They've been thinking about themselves their whole lives, right? That's, that's kind of the problem, right? They keep thinking about themselves. And so the, the world keeps telling you, no, you're good. You, you just need to find that, that inner you. You need to find your best life now, right? No, no, There's, that's not in us. That's an empty well we're trying to draw from. That peace does what? Look at what the Bible says. And back in 14, uh, chapter 14, it says, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Why? Because of the peace Jesus gives, which implies what? Any other peace isn't real peace. You're going to be left troubled. Think about it. If you're relying on the comforts of the world, the economy's going to tank. It already has. It'll do it again. And when it tanks, what happens to your peace? Your self-esteem, one day, you might be feeling great because you, you, know, you didn't go to McDonald's for two days straight, and then what's going to happen? You are, and your self-esteem's going to go down, or someone's going to make a comment to you or something like it. Do you understand? Like our, we can't rely on that. That's not real peace. But Jesus has come to give us real peace. Listen to what he says. 
but I, but peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. His peace is complete. Where does his shalom start? How do we experience that peace? Like I want that peace and, and I hope you do too because otherwise I haven't done a good job convincing you you need it, all right? But I want that peace. Where does it start? It starts with uh, Coram Deo. It starts with living before God at all times. Coram Deo. If you're in John chapter 14, look up to verse 23. Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So God, God's peace continues in us through Coram Deo, living ever before Jesus, constantly aware of him in all things, looking for him in all things, looking for his purposes in all things, worshiping him in all things, loving him in all things. And we see that here in this verse. Look what it says. If anyone loves me. So the very first thing, first and foremost thing for Coram Deo, the way to constantly live before God is love him. Now, I could have given you a checklist of do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this, and you'll live before God. But that's not, that's not it. That's not what being a Christian is about. It's saying, love me first. Have a relationship with me first. And so in that relationship, focus your affections back to him. And this restores shalom in you. This restores that peace in you. There's no more guilt. There's no more shame the more I look at Jesus. Because the Bible tells me that more I look at Jesus, I can approach his throne of grace with confidence. The more I look at him is the more to look at his love. And the more I look at his love, the greater his love looks and, and the worse my sin looks, the less my sin looks, the, the weaker my sin looks in light of his love for me. Because his love is phenomenal. His love is greater than all things. And so it restores that peace in us to love him and, and have that relationship. It restores shalom in, in us, even, even in tragedy in our lives. Because as we look, our world's going to remain in chaos. You understand this, right? Jesus said, I came to bring peace. But that peace is what? To the ones in, with whom he's pleased, to the one who, who believes in him. So the world's going to continue in chaos. And there are going to be times in your life of tragedy. But you can still have shalom. You can still have peace. Um, I, I want to read you. This, this quote, peace that Jesus gives is not the absence of trouble, but is rather the confidence that he is there with you always. I love Isaiah chapter 40. We're going to read from it today because Isaiah chapter 40 shows how big my God is. And the more I look at him, the weaker I see things. The more that the light of the world shines on the reality of what this world is, which is just weakness, the more confidence I have in him. So that no matter what this world throws at me, no matter what the enemy may throw at me, no matter what the Lord might allow me to walk through, as long as I'm focused on him, he's still bigger. He's still in control. And so it restores that peace in me, right? And so not only do we have that, but, but let's keep reading. He says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And so what this simply means is that as you love him and, and as you get to know him and as you get to see his love for you, you begin to trust him and you begin to trust that his way is much better. And so as you do that, you're going to do what he says. Not out of like, I have to do this or I'm going to get struck down because you know that's not the reality. You know his love for you. But you're going to do it because I trust you. You love me, I trust you. One of the things that I love about the innocence of my son is that he trusts me. 
I can, I can point at things and say, hey, go, Max, there, go over there. Okay. And he just goes over there, right? But why does he do that? Because he knows I love him. All he's ever seen of me is love. And all I've ever seen of God towards me is love and grace. And so why should I feel any different than my son does towards me? And so as you experience the love of God and get to know the love of God for yourself, you're going to trust him. And you're going to know if he says this is better, it's better. My son loves electrical sockets. He loves them. And he keeps going after them. But he trusts me when I tell him no. He trusts me. He trusts that that's better. He's like, I don't get it. Those look awesome. But he trusts me when I, tells him, when I tell him no, because he knows that I love him. He knows that I'm looking out for him. And so think about that. That, not, that will restore the shalom in your world. That will sh- restore the shalom in your relationships. Think about marriages if we did them according to Ephesians 5. If we mutually loved one another and submitted to one another. Think what our marriages would look like. Think about uh, if we really believe what Jesus said, which is a servant is not greater than his master. Okay, so we're not greater than Jesus. And Jesus said to serve. He said, I came to serve, not to be served. Imagine if that was our attitude. Imagine what our church would look like, our community would look like, if that that was our attitude, that of Jesus Christ, that we would serve rather than be served. Imagine what our church would, would look like. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Imagine if we did that. Imagine if that was our world. If when we got caught up, uh, cut off in traffic, we prayed for that person rather than the other thing I've seen you do, all right? And I've seen all of you do it, all right? Imagine what our world would be like. How do we do this? This seems daunting. How in the world can we do this? I am flawed. And every day I, I encounter my flaws. And more than one time in the day, my wife encounters my flaws. You can ask her, all right? I am very flawed. How can I do this? Well, keep reading. Look in John 14. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And so if you're a believer, the Bible says that you've been marked. You, you literally house the Holy Spirit of God. And it says he'll teach you all things. And let me ask you a question. What does that mean to teach somebody? If, I, if, if you're a teacher in class and, and you've got a student, all right, and you're teaching them that this is the proper way to do something. Let's say, for example, I don't know, you're teaching them, all right, I want you to clean the, chalk, the chalkboard off. And he keeps using his sleeve, right? And you're like, no, no, no. The right way is take the, take the eraser and use it. And so you go, great, I've taught him. What do you do? I use the eraser instead of my sleeve. Good, I've taught him. Now, if he walks up there and uses his sleeve, have you taught him? No, not at all. And so the Holy Spirit says, I'm going to teach you things. And I'm going to, I'm going to bring all the things, uh, teachings of Jesus to, to your remembrance. So what he's saying is that I'm going to change your heart. I'm going to change who you are. I'm going to make, I'm going to change your actions to be better, to be more like Christ. Um, D.L. Moody um, he, had a, uh, he had a glass one time and it was empty. And he asked everyone in the audience, how do we empty this, this, this glass of air? How do we empty it? And someone suggested a vacuum. A vacuum would suck the air out. But the vacuum would create a pressure that would crush the glass. How do we do it? And, and Moody simply poured water into it. And he says, here, there's no more air. And the reality is our sin problem, this sin infection that we were born with, an infection that will eventually kill all of us, that, that sin infection we have, the only way to get it out is not a vacuum. It's not trying to suck it out. It's not trying to take the comforts of the world or the ideologies of the world or anything like that. The only solution is the Holy Spirit. The only solution is submit to Christ, love Christ, follow the law of Christ. 
And when you do that, he will fill you with his Holy Spirit. And that's the only solution, the only solution to our sin problem. So he has made peace for us and desires to daily make peace in us. But we have to make a choice. And that choice is, are we going to live quorum Deo? Are we going to live ever before God? Are there corners in your life that don't belong to him? Are there areas of your life, are there moments that don't belong to him? Are there relationships that don't belong to him? Are you hiding like Adam and Eve? Are there things that you're keeping from him? Because I'm telling you, if you do that, you'll never experience the peace of God. You'll never have it. And so the only solution is quorum Deo. I'm going to ask the the band to to come back up. And and we're going to, in a moment, I'm going to pray for us. And we're going to read our Advent scripture together. And we're going to light our second candle. Um, But wherever you are, I, I don't know what you need to do. But as we sing and as we worship with this last song together, you do what you need to do. For some of you in this room, when I said Coram Deo, when I said that corner, is there a corner of your life that's not his? Your mind immediately went to that corner. And you can identify it surrender it to him today. Give it to him today. I'm not saying that when you surrender it to him today, you're not going to try to pick it up this afternoon. You absolutely will, probably. But you need to ask for his strength to stop picking it up. And when you pick it up, ask for his strength to put it back down. Leave no stone unturned. Corum Deo, ever before God. And if you've never experienced that peace, that peace beyond all understanding, you've never experienced the hope of Jesus then maybe you've always been hiding from him. You've never lived before God. You've always been like Adam and Eve, hiding away. And when he's seeking you and he's calling you, offering you life and love and forgiveness and hope, you're hiding. The reality is you don't have to hide anymore. Jesus is waiting today to give you peace, to give you a new life. So during this song, after we read our, our scripture together and as we sing, I'm going to be down front right here, singing along. If my eyes are open, smack me in the back of the head. Come talk to me. I'd love to introduce to you the Prince of Peace, the Prince of Shalom. I'd love to. So you can surrender your heart to Jesus today and know that peace and live it. Whatever you need to do during the song, do it, man. Lay it down. Some of you may, may need to come up here and, and lay down that thing in your life that, that you, you have tape over, that no, no admission, right? I don't know. You do what you need to do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, God, for your peace. Thank you, God, that you made peace because we couldn't. God, the best that I am is garbage in front of you because you're perfect. So, God, thank you that you didn't leave us hopeless and helpless but as your word says at just the right time you died for the ungodly you died for us and you paid our penalty and you were raised on the third day to defeat sin and death so we're not defeated by it we can be yours forever so God thank you for that God so many times in my life unfortunately I do run from your peace I do block things off in my life Unfortunately, Coram Deo breaks down in my life too often. So God, would you work in my heart and in others' hearts? And and would you break down those barriers that we've built to keep you out? 
and recognize that all we're doing is hurting ourselves. And all you want to do is help us and make us more like you. So God, would you help break down those walls this morning? If there's someone in this room that doesn't know you, that's separated from you by their sin. God, would you, would you let them know today that they would surrender to you. They would ask your forgiveness. The Bible says that you're faithful and just to forgive them of all their sin and to cleanse them and to make them your child forever. God, would you bring someone to you today? We love you. It's in Jesus' name. Would you stand with me and, and read our scripture reading today? This is our Advent reading for today. This is Isaiah chapter 40, beginning in verse 1. If you want to follow along, it'll be on the screen. We're also in the Bibles, page 508. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Get you up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up. Fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Amen.